Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Phoenix is Isabella Porter. Isabella is Director of Compliance and Privacy Officer at District Medical Group. And she's also the author of Patient Privacy and Security Business Associates for the latest edition of the Complete Healthcare Compliance Manual. Uh, Isabella, thanks for your authorship and for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Adam. I'm glad to be here. Well, glad to have you. Now, since we'll be talking today about business associates, it's probably good to start by defining what exactly constitutes a business associate in the healthcare setting. Can you give us some of the more common types? Absolutely. In fact, what I'll do is kind of just, I'll kind of give you the spiel of what I normally tell people. And, you know, in healthcare, surprisingly, as many times as we drill in HIPAA education and have the discussion of business associates and, you know, all the different requirements of, of what's needed between them and covered entities, to this day, I still get asked, even by individuals actively involved with contracting, well, is this vendor a business associate? And so I always kind of back up a little bit and say, all right, well, you know, under HIPAA, you know, we have covered entities and a covered entity is really the ones that are enumerated by that law just on its face to follow it. So what I mean by that is when you see a physician, a clinic, a hospital, an insurance company, a health plan clearinghouse, by nature of the law, they are required to follow HIPAA. Now, granted, yes, HIPAA does say a business associate must follow it, but you know, when you see an attorney, for example, an accountant, for example, you know, by law, they're not required to follow it by the face of what they are actually identified by their profession as, you know. So with that being said, if you have an attorney, for example, that is contracted by, let's say, a hospital and attorney to do representation on a case involving malpractice where PHI has to be exchanged for that attorney to adequately represent the hospital, you just had a business associate relationship appear. So normally by virtue of that attorney's profession they, they hipaa does not apply to them but by that relationship that they're contracted into it now does so same thing could be again with an accountant the big thing right now is high tech you know vendors basically when you have all these different vendors dealing with you know electronic phi and handling information in a lot of emr systems and all the technology that a lot of healthcare providers use quite often you're going to see a business associate relationship appear well, and that leads to my next question. You know, you mentioned technology, and these days organizations and their business associates are wired together, you know, quite literally with data moving back and forth rapidly and seamlessly. Obviously, that makes things much simpler, but it does carry with it substantial risk. You know, first, when assessing a prospective business associate, what should compliance teams be on the lookout for? So normally one of the things that I like to look at, and it's just as me personally, is does that vendor have an understanding of their classification as a business associate? So what you'll see is often with vendors that deal a lot with technology, normally they do. And quite often they're going to have their own BAA template, a business associate agreement template that they themselves maintain. So with that being said, for best practices, at least for my organization, I like to encourage contracting to say, would they be willing to default to our own? Because I know exactly what's in our BAA. So for example, like breach reporting periods, you know, so if there is a breach or an authorized access where it could be something that we're going to have to report to patients and the OCR, does that time period listed in their template coincide with ours? So if theirs is like 30 days and ours is five, 
I, I'm not going to want to sign the 30 day agreement. And again, if I already know what's in ours, I've already kind of reviewed it. So it doesn't have to go through high scrutiny with contracting to get our BAA executed in its place. However, quite often you're going to find a lot of vendors don't want to sign uh, the covered entities uh, template. They're going to want their own done, but they're willing to amend it. So more often than not, I find myself in that situation, which is fine. So what I usually do is when that does happen, I like to really focus again on the breach reporting date. You know, again, is it reasonable? What are the different you know, pieces of that agreement? The next thing I like to look at is, are there subcontractors? Which again, it's going to be referenced in that, or it should be at least in that business associate agreement. And so just because it's an element, I still want to know, do you guys actually use a subcontractor and in what capacity are there going to be on my account? And again, one thing that goes a little bit beyond that is the screening of the subcontractor. So do you do background checks on them? How often do you guys really you know, check in with them and make sure that they're held to that same standard as your employees touching my information? Because it kind of just goes to show, you know, are you really doing your own due diligence as the vendor? So that's some of the things that I look into. Uh, another thing that I usually like to ask myself is, would they be willing to share their privacy and security policies with us? Because ultimately, one of the things that I like to put in my business associate agreements is a due diligence provision, which allows us to check in with that vendor in the future and kind of go back and say, all right, would you be willing to disclose you know, what access controls you have and have you had any incidents and how have you handled them? And it may be that sometimes they may push back on certain things, but what I found is that the industry is starting to really require this more, it's starting to be a standard where there is that due diligence that's needed. So that's one of the things that I look into. And if you have a security officer that's working really closely with compliance, they may ask for the high trust certification report. So with that being said, I do caution often an NDA and non-disclosure agreement will be requested because that is very, very sensitive. But with that being said, it really shows the security standards that are in place. And normally this would apply more with a high tech vendor. Okay. This would not be for, you know, a vendor that's handling hard copy information and, and not really anything electronically. You know, this is more for, uh, you know, security penetration testing, that kind of thing where they're getting into your network. You want to make sure that they are able to do so in a safe way and they have those right parameters in place. The next thing that I usually like to look at is offshoring. Is there a potential that this vendor has servers that are actually containing our information on it? Are they planning on de-identifying our information and are they gonna be storing it? And where are those servers located? Are they offshore? Are they onshore? Does the organization have offshore components? Because if that's the case, then we have to consider, okay, well, then HIPAA may not apply. And then what do we do there? And other jurisdictions will, may apply to that particular information, the laws from there. So GDPR is an example. So again, that's just some of the things that go through my mind kind of off the top of my head here. One other thing I would like to add is also checking to see if they have adequate insurance. So with me, I work a lot with risk management and risk management always asks, do you have cybersecurity insurance? And what are the limitations that you have in there? One other thing that we're starting to see more common is computer malpractice, which again is a little bit of a newer thing, but I would really more focus on cybersecurity insurance. I just put the computer malpractice thing out there because sometimes you're starting to see them embedded in agreements and you're thinking, what, what is this? And kind of just behind it, what it is just off the topic is really it's that if a computer person is a professional, like they, they work with computers and set up networks and do all these different things with computer systems, could they be held liable if they set up a system that ends up uh, not working the way it was intended or it ends up causing more issues and cause a security breach down the line for an organization.
Well, the malpracticing certainly shows also that we always have to be vigilant to not just what's required now, but sort of what the direction of things is going. Now, when the agreement with a business associate is created, what needs to be in it specifically to ensure that it manages the data risk in general, but also specifically meets the requirements of HIPAA and high tech? So for those listening, if I do have a tendency to speak quite fast. And if they can't <laughs> write down with kind of the speed of what I'm saying, don't worry about it. These things are actually listed on the OCR's website, but I can go over the 10 different elements because there are 10 specific. So the first one is you're gonna wanna have some kind of a clause or some kind of a statement establishing the, per the permitted and the required uses and disclosures for the PHI. So it literally can just be a specific sentence that says this agreement is going to establish that we are going to exchange PHI as you know consistent with the law. It doesn't have to actually enumerate in detail what that is, because the good news is also the OCR provides a template BAA that you can actually utilize if you so choose. The second one is that the business associate will not further disclose the information other than as permitted, which again kind of goes hand in hand with the first one, because you know obviously if you're going to disclose it as required under the agreement. You're not going to use it in a way that's not appropriate. So that kind of just reinforces that first idea. Number three is that you're going to implement appropriate safeguards as that business associate. So you're going to have proper security standards in place and administrative controls, all those different things that a covered entity would be required to do. The next one would be to report to the covered entity breaches. So, I mean, that's again, really basic. If there's a breach, you, you need to notify us. Now, again, the law does not specify what that time period is. Again, I threw out 30 days because some to this day, I've seen some business associate agreements that do say 30 days notification after we discover it, which if you're having a breach of more than 500 people, that that seems like that is not a reasonable amount of time for the covered entity to do their own investigation and get everybody involved who needs to be involved and do those notification letters. So to, to me specifically, I would always look at those and be very, very mindful of those dates in there. So I do want to throw that out there. So again, um, with going on to the next item, we do have, you know, we have to require that the business associate will disclose protected health information as specified. So for example, if a patient comes, if, if this particular relationship is one where a patient could come to the business associate and request copies of their information or request that the PHI be amended because there's a mistake or an accounting of disclosure, that business associate has to provide that information and do those things in accordance with HIPAA. So with number six, that one kind of goes hand in hand with this one, because really it says that the business associate has to comply with the HIPAA privacy rule in order to kind of effectuate those things that were in number five. So if you're having to provide copies and do the amendments or accounting disclosures, you have to make sure as a business associate you're doing that in the way that HIPAA does describe that, that needs to be done. So the next one is to make available books, internal practices, records to HHS should they be needed from the business associate. So they really usually do that to really kind of verify compliance with the HIPAA privacy rule. So that's kind of one of the things that's thrown in there. And what we're moving to is number eight is the business associate has to return or destroy all PHI received from or created by uh, pretty much the business associate on behalf of that covered entity. So kind of towards the end of the agreement, you know, if you have a business associate that has all these different uh, pieces of information of PHI and things like that, you know, sometimes they may say, all right, well, we need it still to function because we have our own internal reporting or administrative functions that need this. And that's fine. As long as once that's not needed anymore, they either destroy it and send a certification of destruction or they promise to return it 
to the business or to the covered entity. I'm sorry. All right. So number nine is the subcontractor restriction. So basically what that means is that the business associate has to require that subcontractors follow the same restrictions that are put on it itself. So the exact same thing is that if that subcontractor is handling the same PHI and that same sensitive information from the covered entity, they have to be held to the same exact restrictions. And so finally, the last one, and it seems kind of elementary, but it has to be in there, is there has to be a clause that authorizes termination if the business associate actually violates a material term of the contract, meaning that if for whatever reason, the business associate does something like they there's a breach and they just never ever tell the covered entity and it causes, you know, obviously somebody harm and they just blatantly refuse to do that under the agreement. It pretty much, you know, this particular um, clause authorizes the covered entity to say, okay, that's it. We're done. So that's all the uh, 10 elements there. Well, and 10 very strong one. And, you know, you're right. The last one is obvious, but by the same token, it's one of those things that if you don't have it, it can leave you stuck with someone who's been unable to perform and is likely to cause you even more problems in the future. So finally, we talked a lot about the issues. What are some of the best ways to avoid problems from occurring? Well, um, I think the most basic thing is pretty simple, and that's just education and constant communication with leadership and those involved with contracting. So if they are aware of what the expectations are from a business associate and understand what the regulations really require, then you have a better chance of number one, identifying a potential business associate vendor, but also making sure that that vendor is acting appropriately throughout that relationship. So for example, if you have a vendor that works more with IT or works more with the clinical operations side of the house and clinical operation notes, for example, uh, well, they're not really, you know, particularly great when they send emails, they don't always, they're not always encrypted. Okay. So if they know that that's supposed to be something that's needed for that particular business associate, or if they notice that this business associate has recently been merged or acquired with another company and that acquisition now has opened it up to other, you know, other branches of business, maybe offshore, if you have that education and relationship from the leadership team, compliance can be pulled in and you can mitigate that risk. And again, going with do, the due diligence piece, Ideally, if you have a vendor that's particularly high risk, it's making those high risk determinations and identifying them because compliance cannot do that on its own without having a basic understanding of what that vendor offers and what that vendor actually does. So if the different leaders can identify, you know, this vendor actually doesn't really cooperate when we do the due diligence annually, you know, they don't really respond to our questions. We've asked for certain things and they don't consider themselves a business associate. That's a red flag to me. Well, Isabella, thank you again for sharing the time with us, and thank you for writing the chapter in the Complete Healthcare Compliance Manual. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaup from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective. <music>